Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondracek, head coach of Top Step Training. I'm here with Marilyn. Hey guys, Marilyn Chakota with um, mcc.coach. You can find everything there with me. Thanks for having me on. We also have Elliot Bassett. Hey guys, Elliot here with uh, Mountain Endurance MTN, or is it MNT? I'll figure it out one of these days. Endurance.com. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Mountain Endurance. Glad to be here. Um, before we dive in, just quick updates. Marilyn, uh, what's new with you? Man, what's new with me? Jesse gave me a swim tip <laughs> last week. <laughs> and I, for the first time, got to try it this morning. I was so excited. I don't get many swim tips at this point in my long tooth career. And actually, and even the ones I do, sometimes I try them. I don't, I don't feel much in the water, but I actually felt a huge change and noticed a change in the pace time. So I was like super excited this morning. So thanks coach Jesse. <laughs> oh, very cool. Glad it helped. That's uh, yeah, I got to take over masters for a day while the head coach is kind of out. That was kind of fun. Fun to tell. All you the make adults. us do a lot of 25s. And I was like, I am not in shape to go this fast for this many 25s. I yeah, just, there's a fair I, amount of grumbling. I, pro I promptly blew up and threw things <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, well, maybe now you'll be able to last longer. Right. Um, and Elliot, how are you? Erica is on her way to Abu Dhabi. Uh, she's in Abu Dhabi, asleep in her own room because she's got a cold. Um, I don't think she can... She couldn't breathe out of, she couldn't hear out of one ear most of today on the descent in, but um, she's there up until getting a cold a couple of days ago. She was having a couple of very good weeks of training. So the race is in four sleeps. Um, she's in the middle of sleep number one right now as we're talking. So yeah, hopefully everything goes well, but she's already qualified for the national team for next year. So yes, definitely it's good for Olympic points and standings and all that. And, and also end of the year rankings to do well in this race. But um, most of the objectives for the season have already been accomplished. So we'll cross our fingers, hope she feels better. And then, um, yeah, I've been uh, moving into the belly of the beast. So I'm on the outskirts of town in Boulder, but I'm here and uh seeing a lot of familiar faces around town so dude we Very were cool. at ironman arizona too you had a, a whole bunch of athletes racing i had a couple athletes racing we we're out there on the course all day that was pretty cool got to see a couple of my athletes have pretty kick-ass and performances i was really uh, um proud of melissa she was third amateur female overall and um won her age group so that was pretty cool and both of them kona qualified so um it sounds like your athletes like completely kicked ass too i saw them out there ripping it up and pretty speedy dudes <laughs> yeah we had, we had a few good days out there um i had a, a girl win her age group and yeah a couple of guys do well in their age group um yeah a couple of well I guess two people Kona qualified, but only one person took their spot, which is, which is, I think a smart call for the other person, but yeah, it was a, it was a great day. I would have preferred to be on the other side of the cones, but uh, so it goes. You got a little cold, Grace. right? Well, more than a little cold. <laughs> you would have started with a little cold. You got flat out sick, which sucks. Yeah. I was pretty sick for the whole week leading in and I kept trying to pretend I was going to race, but in the end decided that to pull the plug and um it was i think actually the right call which i'm not known to make but it didn't make it, <laughs> it didn't make it that much easier what um, what was it when you got valley fever and what was the other thing you got with valley fever uh, i got pneumonia on top of valley fever yeah so Marilyn, i was still coaching jesse at this time and he's telling me like how his workouts are going and i was like dude I'm refusing to write you training. And I think you need to go to the hospital. And he was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm getting ready. And then he just sent me an x-ray from the hospital. And he's like, my lungs are like 90% filled with like, remember that x-ray? It was just black. Yes. And I was like, did I just save a life? I think I <laughs> saved a life. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was not a good situation. Um, well, Hey, it's like a decade later and you're a heck of a lot smarter. So faster too. <laughs> it's crazy. It, did, it took me that long, but I'm starting to learn a little bit. Just slow, slow growth here. I think you made, I think you made a good decision. I'm sorry. You're sick. It was bad timing. I know you're fit, but well, you're on to the next one, right? Yeah, hopefully, you know, I mean, you see these gray hairs. I don't know how many more there'll be, but I got at least, 
I got a couple more goes here, I think. I think you do. Um, all right, to the matter at hand. We've been we've been tossing around this this topic about the the speed skater uh, Nils Vanderpool and his his training methodology. And we've kind of Elliot, you brought it up a long time ago when that manifesto came out and you were super psyched on that. We kind of like had the idea then. And then Rich Roll just interviewed uh, Gordo and that kind of made it resurface. And we've seen a lot of kind of banter about his training style. And so we decided it was time to kind of like address it as a group. And there are a lot of things about his training that's a little bit unique, but I think the biggest thing is how he structures his days on and his days off. And so he specifically does like five days pretty full on and then two complete rest days. And I think the, the, the big shocking thing there is that if you look at many triathlon programs, there are, you know, maybe some easy days and, or definitely some easy days, but kind of not that many full rest days. And I think very few people do two rest days in a row. And so this kind of like every week getting two rest days was a pretty big shock to the triathlon community. And, and I think that's kind of the thing that has been kind of echoing around where people are like, Oh, is, is this the new way? And so, yeah, I think that's, we're going to talk about that. And then I think we've got a few different other ways that, that we use to structure how we, how we kind of schedule our, our, um, our volume and intensity within a week or within a training block. So, yeah, yeah I think the, you know, the, the five, the five, two, basically we'll call it is um, we really wanted to dive into the specifics of the stress of how much load was in those five. And then that massive amount of rest, because I think that's the key component. And then how realistic is that for most people within their schedule who have kids, work full-time, amateur athletes? So, you know, it's one thing, there might be a handful of people out there, professionals or people who have their life structured where they can apply this model and, and try it and see if it will work for them. But I think it's really important to outline things like how much load specifically is in those five days in order to require a full two days off. And then what does that look like as far as who is that really possible for that to happen? And, um, you know, the, the, the interview specifically with Gordo, I think some of the things that were interesting for me, knowing him as long as I have as well as, you know, he really talks about the recovery side of it and how that piece was missing for him when he was, uh, you know, training full-time and racing full-time. And I think it's important to note there as well, that when he was training full-time, and I think he touches on this pretty clearly in his podcast and, you know, would love to have him on when he's available a little bit down the road and talk even more about it is that he trained more than what most normal human beings can handle. I mean, 40 hour, 50 hour weeks were pretty normal for him. So this focus on massive recovery for someone like that might have a lot greater impact than someone who has only ever been able to experience like 15 or 16 hours of training a week. I'm not saying that they both can apply, but it's just good to have the context of where this is coming from and who is actually talking about these things and why it might impact one athlete different than versus another. And when they're listening to all this information out there. And I think it's probably important to note that what Niels did in his big volume training is essentially what Gordo did, but took if Gordo took two days off. So it just, Gord, he wouldn't have needed to increase his Monday through Friday. They just would have stayed the same and then take any two days out of the program because Gordo was doing that much volume. But the other, I would say, very important thing is Niels Vanderpoel was training for a six and 12 minute race. Gordo was training for an eight hour race. So definitely two different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, oh God, I think what you were kind of getting at Marilyn is that if Gordo applies this now at this point in his career, when he's had this history of massive volume, it's going to have a very different effect than say, you know, if a 18 year old who hasn't trained that much in their life yet tries applying this, it's kind of the crazy thing about time, right? It, it kind of changes everything and you can't go back and like try a different training style at a different point in time. But, and so you have to really look at kind of where you're at in your life cycle of training and, and how things get implemented. But, but yeah, I think 
for someone like Gordo with a background like he has, it's going to be a very different than someone else, say someone just getting into the sport at 35 that to try this, you know, so it's, yeah, I think that really changes the game here. But I think one of the points that we, we really need to hammer away that you guys were also mentioning is how intense those five days were. So that's what, I, that's what I was just about to say, actually, just sorry to totally interrupt you. I'll let you get right back to that point was that someone who is 18 or 35, if they are wanting to try this model, it's the stress that's in those five days that's going to really matter to them. So yeah, take, yeah. Yeah. And well, and I think to that point is that like, if you're getting into the sport, you probably can't do enough stress in five days to earn those two days off, right? You are, do not have the fitness base to like, I mean, to, to adequately push yourself hard enough. I mean, I guess you, you could just be out there for a long time, but I just think it'd be diminishing returns. Well, I was going to say, I think what the point you're trying to get to is the person who might try to do that, who doesn't have a huge fitness base, probably cracked themselves on day one or two. And then it's just like a moot point. And I right. think we know plenty of people like that. I mean, that's even me currently, right? Who got out of so out of shape. So um, it happens to, certainly it happens to some people out there, but you do need quite a lot of fitness if you're going to be able to push five big days and then recover. But it also depends. I think Marilyn, you have some points on this how that balances out um, if you were to take like two non-consecutive days off, right? What happens if you took Sunday and Wednesday off and you have a life and, and how does that help or, or hurt if you're an age group triathlete? Yeah, I think that the, the key point is, is like these big days that we're talking about, they're like six, seven hour days. So who actually has six and seven hour days or let's even pare it down let's say they're going to do a 20 hour week in five days that's four you know four hours a day who has four hours a day to actually realistically train not just one week like at a camp or where they've organized their life but week in and week out for 20 weeks right like 20 weeks of 20 which would be considered a, you know, based on their theory, like a large base period, which that's not a new concept. Lydia did with the same thing. Um, Brett Sutton does the same thing. There's a lot of people who do like 20 weeks of a repeated week. Uh, John Hellemans was really similar. So that's, um, you know, they just give you a piece of paper, repeat this week for 20 weeks, and then we'll get into more specific training as your event gets closer. And, and so, does someone actually have for that extended period of time, four hours a day, four to seven hours a day to commit to training? And some people will say, yeah, I do. And then those people they, that might be worth them trying this. And, uh, but most people, I think with kids in a full-time job likely don't. Right. I mean, my experience has been with most of my amateur triathletes, I've got a solid and this is the ones that are very dedicated and, and doing quite well, maybe 90 minutes a, at one point in the day and maybe another 30 minutes or an hour later in the day, you know, and, and that's, and then a bigger weekend. And so that's, that's where these things, these, you know, theories get a little bit hard to apply to everybody, you know? Yeah. And just to like hammer home a little bit again on his intensity is that like he was training at Watts that are in between my Ironman and my 70.3 Watts for six to seven hours a day. So he's training but pretty hard he's he's a big dude and you're not a big dude so he's he's fully aerobic like if he was doing lactate testing all of those rides they are extremely high power but he is a big dude he's also being pursued by many pro tour teams to be a cyclist because those are like danny pate if you remember when he was just on the front of the sky train i mean you know him because you rode with him in tucson um but like he's just pulling all day at the front you know um riding 40k an hour on a road bike for hours on end and, and this guy has that level of endurance i think is fair to say a guy who could sit on the front of the tour de france for multiple hours of the flat stages if you will so ellie you you've read a lot more on this guy on this whole uh concept is it is it that like you know if you're doing that much volume that many days in a row typically you know, some of the sessions would be harder and some of them you'd be noodling along a little bit, but it, it appears that a lot of these sessions are, none of them are, you know, really hard, but none of them are really easy either. It's sort of, and wouldn't that be like a Correct. contribution to some theories that'll say easy should be easy and hard should be hard. So there he's literally sitting in sort of that like gray zone. He is the gray zone. Gray so zone. 
seven hours a day for five days and recovers. So before I get into the psychology of this, which I think is the most interesting aspect, I think you need to take a step back and he actually does break it up as easy and hard, but he breaks it up as this is my base session and this might last eight months and that's his easy. And it's just volume, volume, volume. But then if you look at his specific weeks as he's building towards the race, he's doing 24 minutes a day at 12 minute race effort for five minutes a day or five, five times a week. So he's, he's doing 10 times his race distance in a week at race pace, which is just unheard of And everything is building towards being able to do that for about a month in, in his break, his, his training a couple months before that he's like working his way down on his threshold. Um, so most people are talking about those eight months where he built up their aerobic. And to me, like, yes, on the day to day, is that actually some people might argue it's not technically easy, but it's definitely not threshold. I think the answer to that is yes. Um, but he clearly has a section of his training where it is just either pure race pace or easy spinning. He's spinning at 210 watts, but again, he's a huge dude whose threshold is like 450. So he's riding at less than 50% of threshold, or he's going at 12 minute pace for like a month before his race. So that would, I would say is, is hard, but you have to like look out at the full year to be able to see the easy and hard. Um, and then the next thing is we haven't talked about this, but you're talking about like Gordo having trained for years and years and tried this. Niels is much younger, but he essentially retired from the sport and then came back and was like, I'm only going to do it if I have my weekends to kick it with the boys. And so like this whole system was predicated on the fact that he was like, I'll be damned if I can't go drinking on a Friday. And like, I mean, he, if you read it, he's clearly like not getting blackout drunk. He's still very much an athlete, but he has time like to go for a hike or he has time to sleep in or go hang out or go to the coffee shop on those two days off. And so I think it's more like it's just five days of you and I might call it easy or not easy, but then those two days off are his truly easy, if you will. Um, so I, does that, I don't know, want to jump in on that? Yeah, I think it's super interesting to, to mention that like this was not born from science, right? This no. wasn't like we calculated this great philosophy in a lab and they were like, oh, this is it. He was like, he got burnt out, trained for like a long time. I know he's not old, but he still has like a pretty solid background, right? And then, yeah. and then they switched to this formula. And I think this is that thing that happens where like people kind of zero in on the wrong thing. Everyone's zeroing in on this five, two and not zeroing out and being like, oh, well, he actually had like six years of like consistent training or I made up the number six. It, but it, was, it was more than six. It was more like a decade or 12 years, but yeah. A decade of consistent training. And then he switched over to this philosophy and like it happens to work for his personality and the way he operates. And I think that's awesome. And I think that's, that's great that it really works for him, but it, it may, might not be this blanket program that we should all, all of a sudden switch to, especially because it does not fit into most people's lives. Yeah. And I, we were talking about this earlier. I've seen so many different models work for a lot of uh, successful athletes. You know, I, I talked about, there is a, a model where it went really hard for about three days, volume and intensity, and then one easy day and one day off. And I saw someone who won, who's, you know, a hall of fame athlete, won many, many Ironmans top three in Kona for several years. And, and that was the model that they used. And that worked really, really well for her. And then I've seen, you know, the 10, 10 days, 10 days on two days off, you know, that was one. And it was same thing, 10 days on one easy ish day, one day off. So that I've seen that work for a big, big group of athletes, amateur and professional. Um, there's the older model that was like three weeks on one week off. We were talking collectively as a group earlier about how we felt like that is probably the least successful pattern, um, that most people don't use anymore, but you still hear about it a little bit. <clears throat> I really like the consistency over time. And we have 
for some athletes, they might need a full day off, but mostly we have like a day off the legs where that's good for aerobic swimming. Cause if you look at most amateur athletes, they don't have enough hours in their week to sacrifice one swim day. And so if we can have a full day off the legs and that's like a big, long aerobic pull swim day, that's really beneficial for two purposes there. You know, they're, they're going to work the aerobic engine, they get a chance, they get a big swim in that day and they get a day off the legs. So I like that, that model quite a bit. Um, yeah. So I know that you guys have probably seen a lot of different, I mean, there's, there's so many, that's just listing a couple, right. And it's really like what works, what we're really talking about is stress on an athlete and that stress and fatigue that nudges them forward. And then as, and then a little bit of recovery. And that they fully recover, that we have that stress and they're not just adapting. We just, and the same thing, if you just always do the same thing, obviously we're going to stop adding stress and they're going to start to go backwards. So it's like, that's, I think it's always a moving target of what, what you're using. It changes through the year too. I, I think like what I do with people at the start of the year versus Mm -hmm. once we're at the end of the year and we've been racing a lot and the load's really high in terms of recovery days, it's. It's different. And then there's a lot of different tools out there to help monitor recovery. You know, you, your feel being the best and relationship between coach and athlete, but there's a lot of other tools as well. Yeah. I've worked with one athlete who was doing very similar hours to Niels, who I didn't give him two days off a week, but I did give him a full day off. And I remember, so he, he was uh, switching. I ended up coaching him for five or six years, but he was switching over from, um, I can't remember if he was working with Joel Filio, then Brett Sutton or Brett Sutton and Joel Filio. The point is he was doing a ton of 35 plus hour weeks, week after week after week, month after month. And it was very clear to me, he was like overtrained for years on end. So the first thing we did was we just like took two weeks off much to his chagrin. And then we had one week off no matter what, because it was just like, Hey man, you'll burn yourself out and you're just going to work and work and work until somebody tells you, you have to stop. So we just built in that easy day. So like that's somebody who has like a different personality than Niels, but still very much needed that day to say, this is your day to hang out. And so that person needed someone to tell him to chill out. Whereas Niels very clearly needed to say to his coach, Hey, I won't let you do anything on these two days, but you can do whatever you want on the other five. It was, you know, Niels, the the speed skater was very clearly willing to do whatever it took Monday morning to Friday evening, right? Whereas a lot of triathletes kind of want to go, 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 go. And some of the ones who do bigger volume actually can do amazing volume in five or six days. And as you were mentioning, Marilyn, can still get in the frequency with one day off um, completely. And, and then I think we can get really creative depending on schedules is, would you take a second day off? Is that applicable? If you need swim frequency, if you need run frequency to stay healthy. And, and we have a lot of variables with three sports, as opposed to just cycling to get strong, to then go speed skate. I do think too, this is a, a little bit of a random sidetrack. So you guys can bear with me here for a second. And I didn't even like prep you guys with this one. So it's a real curveball. but I will say that like, Okay. So for example, in the horse world with, with sport horses, right? Okay. So with sport horses, if you've got big warm bloods who are like, they're big muscular horses with the, with two types of horses that are show jumping horses, thoroughbreds and warm bloods, those ones need a lot more recovery. Wait, the warm bloods do. Mm -hmm. And wait, wait, are these running horses or jumping horses? Jumping horses, sport jumping horses at a Grand Prix level. Okay. Okay. And then thoroughbreds, they are a little bit different makeup. They're usually leaner, smaller, but they're still big horses because they're jumping horses. They don't need as many days off. They can handle a lot more work and in fact, need a lot more work. Now, just bear with me here. Then on the other side of that, in the weightlifting community, if you have a super heavyweight weightlifter, male or female, doesn't matter, they need a lot more days off and recovery, okay? The little weightlifters, the 48 kilo lifters and the tiny little pocket rockets, they need a lot more work and a lot less recovery. Is there, even as we're talking about all this, you know, five and two, three and one, three and two, 10 and two, whatever these models are as far as stress and recovery, is there a a relationship between, is this model working, the five and two, for two 
the two primary men that we're talking about are, are big, big dudes. Yeah. Well, like, is there the super really really like big, big dudes for endurance athletes, endurance yeah. athletes. I mean, endurance sports yeah. are a working, it's a work rate sport, especially Ironman, right? You got to do a lot of work mm-hmm. for a, a long time and you need a huge aerobic capacity. Now, the amount of stress versus let's say, you know, you've got a pro or a high level amateur or a pro male who is five, four, five, five, and a hundred between 140 and 145 pounds. That's pretty common in like Ironman racing, ITU racing. That's a pretty common size for a male elite athlete. Right. But you also see a lot of them that are maybe six, one, six, two, and they're somewhere between 160 and 175 pounds. And maybe even some of the bigger guys who are a little bit bigger than that, they're like 180 up to, I've seen as heavy as 200 without naming any names that were successful. And so is there, as far as stress and recovery, are these bigger dudes doing so much work in those days and they've got so much more muscle mass and they're just bigger that they need that super compensation of two days or whatever format you use, their recovery and work rate is different. So it's just something like another thing just as coaches to look at when we look at all these different models and we look at our athletes, whether they're amateur athletes, say we take time restrictions and life restrictions out of the picture at all. Everybody has endless time to train and inter- mm-hmm. and freedom. Do we then even narrow it down even more when we look at these different models and say, is it the 140 pound five foot five male or female, or let's say 115 pound five foot two female versus the five foot nine, you know, six foot X swimmer female who is maybe 150 to 155 pounds, is their work recovery rates stress is different. So it's just like another thing just to, I mean, I know I didn't even, we didn't even talk about this before, so I'm throwing a real curveball, but I thought of it while we're going through this, you know? No, I want to add on to this. Classic cyclists, the one day racers are generally much bigger riders, male or female, and they're one big day. And if you look at the training model of a lot of people who, who ride the classics, like they don't maybe necessarily have full days off, but a lot of times, if you look at their training, it's like three insane rides and three rides on the rollers in one day where they just sleep through the day. And they have so much volume in those three days and there's so much stress, even if it's all easy. Um, the other thing I think you want to know, put out is the pure kilojoule burn when you're a bigger human and just like how much work you can actually do and how much that takes to recover from. So I think that when you are a bigger person, you can just do huge volumes of work. It takes more and more recovery and you have to be really careful once you can do that much work to make sure you have enough compensation. And I think what you're getting at is if Ann Hogg is going all out, she's not putting out a kilojoule burn that her digestive system can't like handle if she just eats enough food and And then gets a distribution as well as far as eat overheating from the core because you're correct but but so it's like you it's almost like eat quicker yeah and so like a, a smaller person's digestive system is usually better set up to eat enough fuel eat enough fuel to handle the higher workload and then recover and our, I think our like our ability to put out large qualities quantities of work, if you're going to count it by kilojoules expended, is just higher with bigger people. Um, so that's just I don't know. Well, like, I've been this, thinking this about is, that as well lately. Yeah, this is a total like another curveball. Is that like okay? So typically, big athletes respond well to a lot of low intensity aerobic work, and then just just enough intensity right before their race like which is that model that we're talking about and the two examples that we're talking about they respond well to that so it's like and when you look at i'm using a comparison to another sport just for interest sake a super heavyweight weightlifter they own their work like number of sets reps and days they train is very low they need a lot of recovery if you have them do too much you will smoke them. You will absolutely destroy them. But in terms of intensity, the weight they are lifting is ginormous, right? Like we're talking, you know, 300, 400 pound type lifts week in and week out. And so is it that 
you know, this, I'm just throwing this out there for conversation. Cause that's what this, what, why we get together as coaches, we're three coaches that talk about different concepts and different interesting ways to train people. So it's terms of stress and recovery and these different models, we make it even more specific to have people forgotten to address the fact that when we look at this in five and two, we're talking about two athletes that are really, really similar. They're male, they're over 150 pounds. And they're over, they're both, they're both over 170, but yeah. Yeah. They're both almost six. Well, I I think. Six, three and six, two, I think is what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. So is that, is that something to consider? And when we're looking at all of this stuff, Jesse, Jesse, we haven't been talking a long time. (laughs) Jesse as as a small man. (laughs) Um, The the powwow (laughs) of small men. What, how do we, how does this make us feel? Uh, no, I, I mean, I 100% agree. You know, I train with some guys that are, you know, way more than I do. And I, I just watched that, you know, the ability for them to like do massive amounts of work day in and day out is kind of crazy. It's like doing work that loads that high kind of crush me, but then, yeah. And then they kind of get that super compensation boost where I kind of need to go at it a little bit differently, where if I just go ride a bunch of miles easy, I don't get quite the same boost that like some, some of the bigger guys do. And yeah, so I've seen that firsthand. It's definitely like, it's not, it's not the same. And and so, yeah, it's, it's this whole other piece of the puzzle that, you know, if you're just reading what other people are doing, you are probably not thinking about, you know, your own physiology. You're just thinking about like that, the training methodology that someone else is using. And you really need to think about how that's going to affect you and how you're going to respond to that. You know, if you're assuming you're self-coached, but, um, but yeah, I totally agree. It's, it is, um, it is kind of crazy how, how much different people respond to that. Like, you know, just using myself, not even my athletes as an example, but, but yeah, even, even the athletes I coach, I can see it with, um, you know, like Adam's a much bigger guy than I am. And we do totally different training because he responds really well to, yeah, like that endurance stuff. And so, yeah, I, I think, totally... and, and that's a good point. Someone, uh, I coach just did his first Ironman racing Adam and, um, obviously his first Ironman, he, he didn't beat Adam, but he was at least in the ballpark. But I think the, the way the guy I coach and the way Adam coached when they were training together is definitely like different. And I fully understand why each of them thinks the other one is doing the wrong training right? When it's very clearly working for both of them, right? They both just had pretty darn good races, I would say. Yeah. Totally. Um, and, but I like having the conversation of like, why is Adam doing this? And it's like, well, he's at a different place. He can handle different things, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I think that's part of like, does this five, two work for you? It's like, well, what the heck is your life schedule and what two days are you taking off and why? And like, what, what about two days off makes your life easier? And if something about those two days off, if a lot of things about those two days off make your life harder or unsustainable, it's probably not in cards. But for a lot of people who would be considering doing this, two days of no training opens up a bunch of doors to do things and and live a life they want to live that then makes those other five days not just palatable, but like enjoyable. Um, And I think that's what we're really getting at. How can we set up our lives so we have the stress of training, the recovery of training, and then everything else is just like really, I don't know, copacetic for lack, lack of a better term. But yeah, I, I do think that those people are going to be a few and far between, you know, maybe like maybe shift workers or something like that. But yeah, to have that five days where you can really kind of pile on stress is, uh, is going to be, is going to be well, hard to find, I think. So, I mean, you're, you're referencing your athlete who's a nurse and I, I, refer, I, I coached a, a pro who for a long time was a firefighter. And I think it's really similar kind of schedules. And if you look into some of the studies on like how various sleep schedules can affect just like performance on the job, whether it's like a police officer, a firefighter, there's a lot of information on, on how they have job performance, but then you can take that information from those studies and apply it to someone trying to win an Ironman in this case. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's so personal to how the person handles that shift Mm -hmm. in their sleep. But if you manage to figure it out, it's essentially like a win because you get these built-in rest periods where they work. And then the, it's essentially like they don't have a job if, if you time it right. It just takes, it's, I think you and I would both say it, it's a bit of a learning curve to figure out how it works for each person. 
another, uh, someone else might actually say like, okay, what about the older athletes? They're like, gut reaction is that when you're a lot older, more recovery, right? You hear that a lot. My experience has been that when you're in your, let's say fifties up to, you know, I coach some people in their seventies that are winning their age group world champion in the 70 to 75 age group. And yeah. And the, you know what, honestly, the key with that, those age groups is they, they got to keep moving, you know, two days off for someone who is a lot older repeatedly. Yes. They absolutely need more recovery in certain ways, but consistent movement. And a lot of athletes in that age group as well have, they're retired. You know, they suddenly have a lot more time on their hands. Their kids are gone to school or gone, you know, they're older, they have grandkids, you know, they're off living their lives. So their lives have opened up and they've got all this time and freedom on their hands. And um, so, and their stress life is relatively low. You know, they're not trying to make it anymore. Their careers are set, their finances are likely set if they're in this sport and they're enjoying life. So they're in a pretty good position. And honestly, not moving every day is typically over time where I see injuries pop up. So as long as I keep them moving consistently all of the time in the right way with the right amount of stress, yes, stress and recovery, but honestly, like having two days off all the time for an athlete in that age group, I, I would think eventually they'd end up pretty injured. You know, that, that would be that inconsistency, not only would they get less and less fit over time because their stress overall isn't high enough for the fitness gains over the year to be enough from that model, but as well as that inconsistency and just sitting sedentary for a couple of days, I think that they'd end up injured. So, so the older athletes listening to this going, well, I'm older, maybe I should try that. I really, I, I would, I would be interested to see if that worked for too many people. Like we're talking, it's got to work for more than just one or two, you know, like a lot of athletes. Yeah, I think I, I, uh, I think uh, I totally agree. And I think it's, it's going to injure people twofold, right? Because if an older athlete tries to do five really hard days in a row, that's too much intensity back to back for them. Right. And yeah. then two days off, that's too much non-movement. So I think that like the thing with older athletes, right. Is you want to kind of make sure you space out that intensity enough, right. They can still go hard. They just can't really back it up quite as regularly as, you know, a 20 year old, but, but yeah, staying moving. I mean, I, I find that now I, uh, I need to, I need to stay moving around a bit more than I used to, or else I start to get a little bit creaky, creaky in the joints. <laughs> so yeah, totally agree with that. And I think we can even take that like to an off season since we're towards the end of the year for most everybody. Right. Like, I think generally speaking, if I coach, let's say I'm like, I'm working with an athlete, I think it's like year 13 at this point or even 14, you know, so quite literally progressed through multiple age groups started early forties about to hit 60 and a hundred percent. We approach the off season differently for a 43 year old than a 60 year old. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and it's just like, and what is the main thing we've done? The off season is shorter. And then the on season is definitely less intense, but you just, it's all about picking your spots. And then all of a sudden, if we're talking about triathlon specific, the older someone gets all of a sudden maximal strength production you know, for your average 25 year old pro maximal strength production is a non-starter. But if you're talking about a 70 year old, you better, well, you know, you need that to stay healthy, to do all of these movements through the range of motion. And that stuff takes recovery time, but it also takes frequency of movement, like you said. So I don't know. I think that's a pretty valid point. Is this a completely terrible idea? If you're over X age, I don't know what X age is, but I definitely think you're, uh, the amount of joint fluid you've got going on and how silky smooth you are as you age is, is certainly something you'd want to consider if this is something you're going to implement in your training. So I want to circle back to one thing we, we kind of glossed over a little bit where, you know, one of the more popular methods of, um, of structuring training, I think would, would be that three, one, right. Even though it's a little bit antiquated and I want to talk about maybe why that isn't setting people up for success especially someone who's working like at a nine to five. Did you say someone who is or isn't using it? Someone, I guess why that style of, of programming might not be the best way for people to go about it, especially if they're working like a day job. 
So oh, kind I of- think the easiest one is it doesn't fit into a seven day week. So it's not predictable in the long term. Is that what you're talking about? No, sorry. I meant like three weeks on one week, one week. Oh, off. three weeks, not three days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One week's a long time to be off. I mean, I think, right? It's like two days. We're talking about two days being too much if you're 70. One week, I mean, I don't care who you are. At a certain point, it's like, what are you doing? I thought you're trying to get faster, bud. You know? So, it, and if, you, if you've done something that needs a full week recovery, I would hope it's an Ironman or a half Ironman. I mean, or a marathon. But like, there's only a couple times a year you should really need a week off uh, easy, in my personal opinion. That's what I've always thought about it. I was like, this is insane. You're just either killing yourself or taking too much time off. And I don't really see how it ends up being one or the other. Yeah, I think just, uh, my experience with that has been is that if usually people get tired before three weeks is up, you know what I mean? Like they actually need just like a couple days uh, easier or like that one day off and then they're okay. And if you keep pushing and pushing, I've never had any success with pushing people for like the amount of stress that you would need to create in three weeks to have a full easy week and that three in one model typically people get to about two weeks and they're pretty smoked and so it's like do we just say nope just keep grinding on into that third week and that's when I've seen a lot of people either get like really really smoked or injured or something like that because it's just I feel like that's actually if the low, it's just too long, actually, you know, it's, and that's the same, even within a week, sometimes I see there's some athletes who can push through like Monday, right to Thursday, and then have Friday as like a day off the legs day or an easier day into their bigger weekend. But a lot of people get pretty tired by Wednesday and actually need a little bit of recovery on Thursday, and then can put another three pretty good days together, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that three to one, yeah, I agree, Ellie, it's like weeks, a long time, uh, you know, to, to have pretty easy and the amount of fitness loss there, if your volume's not extremely high or your stress isn't stre- extremely high in that three weeks, it's a, it's a long time to be off. There's a lot of fitness loss in that week, but mostly even more importantly, I don't, I think three weeks is just too long. You know, it's just, it's a really, really long time to be going hard. Awesome. Thanks. I, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I thought that just been kind of good to clear up for for everyone yeah. um, that, you know, three weeks on is pretty hard. And then one week off is also pretty aggressive. It's kind of aggressive on both ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. And, but yeah, there are definitely kind of ways to, to mold that. Um, you know, one of the things I'll, I'll t- tend to do is like, if you're pushing for a while, then maybe you take a few of those weekdays easy, kind of like you guys are saying, but then like for most people, there's probably no reason that if you take a few easy days during the week that you can't actually have another big weekend, if that's like, you know, your only time to, to do any, any real training. Um, that's, that's like longer, but yeah, thanks. I just want to make sure we, we came back to that. One last, uh, I know you guys will both like crack up here, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of the watches and rings and models for recovery out there. I obviously get asked this a lot. Like, is there anything within those that is worth investing in or watching as a relationship to monitor if you're getting a little bit overdone. And I will say that I actually do find morning resting heart rate and relationship to oxygen level pretty helpful for if somebody is getting a bit overdone or possibly getting sick. So, and not just one snapshot day, but a consistency of what's a person's normal resting morning resting heart rate. And what is their normal oxygen level every single morning? If you record that over a long period of time and you start to see like those two change drastically in the relationship between the two of them, you might be able to predict them getting a little bit tired or maybe possibly getting sick and knowing to back off if you if you see those numbers. I, I think that those are probably the two main ones that are are helpful. A lot of the other ones are fairly unreliable at the at this time, but those two have been around forever. There's a lot of different ways to measure them. And if you measure them both every day, it could be useful for knowing like, hey, if I've been going really hard for 10 days, maybe I do need to take two days light or something like that. Yeah, I think the really important thing with any metrics like that is to like have a logical component of like, hey, let's put some comments in there of like what's going on with life. 
You know, I feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm super stressed out because my life is going to go one of two ways and I don't know which way and it's going to happen in the next three weeks. Like, say that's you, you know, you might like have some underlying stress that's changing these numbers. And, and so you have to know where that stress is coming from. Is it like training stress? Is it relationship stress? Is it something else? And, and so kind of like adding in a little bit of that human factor, because maybe it, if it's just, you know, life stress, maybe like, maybe you need to adjust the training for the life stress, or maybe you don't, but you know, you know, to, just to have an idea of where that could be coming from, because it might not be like, Oh, I'm overtraining or like, Oh, I'm getting sick. It, it could just be some other balls are up in the air or whatever that is, you know? So I think it's, I like that little, like, I like a little comment in there with it. So we know what's going on in life besides just like numbers. You, you How do you handle that as a coach? This... Sorry, go I was going to say you can you can have overtraining from a totally normal training program, but an uncommon workload from your work life. And I yeah, think we all come across that. I was just about to ask that. Like, if someone's how do you like typically if someone's stress is extremely high from work and life, and that's beating them down to a point where you know everything is falling apart, but it's not training stress, and you're like, well, you've got this race, you've got to train for it. And it's not training stress to so just keep on hammering or do you say like, oh, this is really stressful and you are getting beat down. And so we need to back the training way off so that we regardless. Yeah, you're not going to be as fit as you want to be, but we need to back it off regardless. Yeah, and even for pros I coach who have jobs, it's, I, it's just always like. You can't race if you're sick, right? I mean, Jesse just had that you can't race if you're injured. So what's the point? It's like, it looks good on paper, but getting sick doesn't look good on paper. So at a certain point, it's just like, are you going to do it to yourself for sure right now and just ruin everything for one or two workouts? Or are you just going to like take a deep breath and say, I've got too much on my plate. And I think if you have a lot of those metrics, or if you're just, you know, you're talking to your athlete and you're like, you obviously are overworked. And I think we're at the time of year where the time zone change hits. People are trying to get into those late season races. That's what we were talking about the last podcast, right? Sometimes it's just too much. And I don't think it's like it every time I think my go-to is like, well, do you want to be sick at the race or do you want to go to the race? Like, would you rather be slightly less fit in there or would you rather just be like DNS DNSing? Right. And so some people might want to DNS and that's, that's their choice. Right. But I think you just need to pre present them with those options. I'll give a really good example, actually. So the, the, um, female that at Arizona that just went top three amateur overall one or age group, she ran really fast. We were in the middle of her Ironman build and she is an absolute workhorse. I mean, she's, she just doesn't miss a session. She approaches every session like a professional. She is absolutely the most dream coachable athlete and is an experienced athlete. She's been a runner her whole life, that kind of thing. And there's a point in her Ironman build, you know, she doesn't really, she never complains. And there was just a couple, her life, her, her um, career is also stressful. She's a physician. So she, you know, she works hard, she works shift work. Uh, so she's no slouch anywhere. And there was, yeah, there was a couple days where she just happened to mention ever so slightly, I'm feeling a bit more tired than normal. That was it. There was no like metrics loaded. There was no like red flags pulled. There was no like bombs that went off. There was no nothing. It was just like for about three days in a row, she just said, I'm feeling just a bit more tired than usual. And I pulled the reins way back for about three days. Like you knew that. I mean, if I, someone I, like that who works that hard and never misses a beat and never says anything. So this is for the coaches listening all of a sudden yeah. even just says anything at all. And, and she's not the only athlete I have like that. I have quite a few athletes like that. They're just workhorses, you know, and um, if they even and if it's for more than one day in a row, that's the key component to that. It's like, OK, everybody might have a bit of a tired day. And especially, you know, she works some shift work, that kind of stuff and long days on her legs doing rounds, those kinds of things. If, if it's more than, you know, two, three days in a row, when an athlete like that says anything, like literally anything, cause they normally don't say anything you need to know as a coach, that's like, like big, big, big flag being waved. Like, Hey, you know, you need to pull it way back for a couple. And we did, we pulled it back for a couple of days. She came through, had an awesome, um, 
you know, weekend of training, last preparation in the race was as perfect as she always is. And then she went and she had a killer race. So that's just like a, a case example for coaches listening. If you don't have exact metrics or you're like stuck on some of these patterns, oh no, we have to do exactly this rest and recovery. Listen for those little tiny fine cues. And they're probably the most important thing that you can do. And it sounds like you caught it really early. So it's just like two or three days easy and like you're back. Right. And I think that's the thing too, is like, if you, if you can make those if you can, if you can respond quickly to that, then it doesn't become this thing where you're like, oh, we had to take 10 days easy to get them out of this giant hole. It's just like, oh, just like slide things back for a few days and then just right back in the mix. Yeah. What is it? An ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. <laughs> right. Isn't that, isn't that a saying? Something like that. It is now. I like it. So, sounds like something my grandma would say, but that. <laughs> I think my grandma might've told me that as I was not getting dessert, you know? Nice. Awesome, awesome stuff, guys. Yeah, this yeah, is a really fun. fun discussion. Actually, it kind of it, it went a lot more uh, in depth on some things than I expected. So thanks so much for that, it was fun. Yeah, I, I really like the show horses. Thanks for, thanks for- I was, <laughs> I, I was gonna say we next week. <laughs> no, I, I started catching on what you were getting to and I was like, oh, I know where this is going. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. Cause I've been looking at like, uh, looking at your own show horse. So on the side, I'm getting into show horses and no, um, <laughs> no, just there's, there's people who use kilojoules as a way of measuring how much volume people do. And I've always somewhat do that. And I like have this conversion that I do in my head that is scaled to like the, but I, it's not written out. It's all like a guesstimate and it's, and I've done the actual math a couple of times, you know, like maybe 20 times and it's like, eh, I'm ballpark. I'm not exact though. And then there's the people who are like only looking at kilojoules versus hours and everything. And I still use mostly hours, but I do the conversion and like, I take, okay, there's this much intensity. This is the person who it is and, and extra politics, however you say that word um, to get the total. But once you start talking about that, I was like, oh yeah, I haven't talked, I haven't said this out loud to anybody. It's just something I do in my notebook with myself. But now you said so that was, now it's I know, now I said it to everybody. World. <laughs> awesome. Thanks guys. Very All cool. right. Thanks guys. Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks. Cheers.